This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. Join me in your Bible, please, in the book of Colossians, chapter 3. We are continuing this morning a study in this short but rich epistle. And this morning we're going to find ourselves at the latter end of the third chapter of Colossians. Now, when I was a kid, I enjoyed disassembling ballpoint pens. Any of you with me there? You'll... Okay, all right. I'm glad I'm not the only one. Um, I would, when I, when I was bored or I felt like I needed something to do with my hands, I'd, I'd take it apart and try to put it back together. And even now, sometimes, um, in some situations, I'll find myself taking the pen apart and seeing if I can get it back together uh, properly on the first try. Well, I have uh, right here one of the Good News Baptist Church pens that comes with our welcome packet. And uh, yesterday I disassembled it. And I, um, I took all the pieces apart, and uh, this is what it looks like when you, when you take that pen apart. Last time we were in the book of Colossians, chapter 3, um, and we were talking about how Christians ought to relate to one another. Uh, We looked at our relationship with each other as believers, the importance of finding our identity in Christ. We talked about the importance of charity or godly love in the way that we uh, interact with each other. And considering one another, relating properly to one another is really important in the Christian life. When those who know Christ are who we ought to be towards one another, then we can fit together in the right way and we can function in the right way. So you think about that pen, all of those pieces separated like that are not much good. You put them together in the right way and you've got a functioning pen. Well, this morning we're going to continue on in this third chapter and As we look at these last verses of chapter 3, Paul is kind of continuing in this vein, uh, talking about how Christians are fitting together, but he's going to get really practical. So consider the different parts of this pen here. Some of them look somewhat similar. Some of them look very different from each other. But each one has its specific place. Each one has its specific function. And they've got to fit together in just such a way. The different pieces can't just be switched out. You can't just take one of the pieces out and it still work the right way. There's different pieces, and all of the different pieces are a part of the whole, and each one has its certain function. Each one has its specific role. Well, the same is true with us in a much more complex way, of course. Uh, All of us have different roles. We're going to talk about the principle of roles this morning. We're going to talk about the roles that we play and how biblically we ought to look at those roles. So I want you to think in your own life, what are the roles that I occupy? What are the roles that you occupy in your life? And do you see those roles the way that God sees them? In Colossians 3.17, this was the last verse we considered last time we were in Colossians, Paul says, and whatsoever ye do in word or deed, Do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. A wonderful verse, a wonderful challenge. Everything we ought to do, we ought to be doing in the name of Christ and for the glory of God. Now Paul is going to take that thought and he's going to expand it. He's going to 
look at some specific positions that people in this church in Colossae and people today would be occupying and say, how do you do all in the name of Jesus Christ in that specific role that you play? He's going to get very specific, very practical. So uh, what I want to do is go ahead and read a portion here from verse 18 all the way through chapter 4, verse 1. Colossians 3.18 to 4.1. And then we're going to kind of zoom out and talk about this, this, this concept um, of, of roles and how we ought to look at that biblically. So beginning in verse 18, the, the Bible says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. But he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done, and there is no respect of persons. Masters, give unto your servants that which is just and equal, knowing that ye also have a master in heaven. So there's a lot here. There's a lot of specific instruction to specific groups of people, and we could easily take lots of time and preach a sermon to the wives and a sermon to the husbands and a sermon to the parents and one to the children and one to the servants and one to the masters. Instead, rather than doing that this morning, I want to talk about some general principles that apply to all of this, that do apply specifically to how we view a role as a spouse, as a parent, as a child, in an authority structure. There are several things about this passage that are distinctly uncomfortable for today's society. And it would seem, even perhaps to some Christians, that this sort of instruction is outdated. Paul is saying that there are different roles for different people, and based on those roles, different people have different responsibilities. That is not a very modern way to look at things but it is a biblical way to look at things. To think biblically is to recognize that roles are not simply a matter of personal choice, but that they're a matter of assignment, given to us primarily not by ourselves or by others, but by God. And so I'm a husband not merely because I decide to be one, but because I have been given that assignment by God. I am a father not simply because I decide to be one. I'm a father because I've been given that assignment by God. I am in a position of authority or leadership over some people and under authority, under the leadership of others. But that's not just a matter of me deciding where I want to fall in that structure and what role I want to occupy. This is something I need to see and we all need to see as something given to us by God. And as such... He's got expectations. There are specific responsibilities where he says, this is a role I've given to you, and because I've given it to you, here is what I expect from you in that role. That perspective is humbling. It's essential. And when we really get a hold of it, it's revolutionary about the way that we view the roles that we've been given. 
So what are some specific takeaways as we, as we seek to think about roles in this way? Well, first of all, we see the value of every part. Every piece matters. The value of every part is a theme that comes up often as we talk about the nature of the church. So looking through the epistles as Paul talks about the church, he'll use different imagery. Um, some places he uses the imagery of a body. That's used in Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, and, uh, and in other places. In, in uh, other passages, specifically 1 Corinthians 3, he uses the imagery of a building. And so you've got something where you're thinking about lots of pieces, lots of parts working together for the whole. Now, if you asked me to take you on a tour of this space that we're in right now and explain to you all the different parts and their function, their purpose, I could help you with some of it. But once we start to get behind the walls, up above this ceiling, there are lots of things I don't structurally understand. I'm not a builder. I don't understand why that beam has to go there and this beam goes over here and why this junction box is here and what it, what it performs. Many of you understand those things in a way that I certainly don't. I don't know structurally what keeps this ceiling from falling on our heads. But I'm glad that people do understand that. And there are pieces up there that make that happen the way it's supposed to happen. And I'm very grateful for that. But whether we understand it or not, in a well-built structure, every piece is important. You take one piece out, and it's not going to work the way it's supposed to work anymore. Something is going to be messed up. The same is true as we think about the church, and as we think about the way human life is supposed to work the, God, the way God built it. And this comes out, the value of every part, in the way that Paul presents this here in, in Colossians 3. It's interesting because he doesn't prioritize one role over another. In fact, if you think about it, if somebody, if one of us were to take this list and we're just listing these things out, we'd probably list it like this. Husbands, wives, parents, children, masters, servants, right? It's just, we we're used to putting the, the one we see as the leader first, right? But how does Paul do it here? Well, he begins with wives, then husbands, children, then parents, servants, then masters. It's as if Paul and God through Paul is saying, the way you look at it as one being more important than the other, more vital than the other, more valuable than the other, it's not the right way to look at it. Every part is equally valuable. Every role is equally valuable. One is not more important than the other. There's a quote that I've heard repeated many times, and I think it comes originally from John Maxwell. Everything rises and falls on leadership. Now, there may be some truth to that statement, but I think that it's actually really misleading. Because in one sense, in a very Christian sense, it is profoundly wrong. In the body of Christ, everything rises and falls on each individual member of the body. There's no less significant or less impactful role in Christ's church or in God's world. Because of that, every role can and should be holy. 
So with the understanding that every role is valuable, we're also reminded of the validity of differences. Last time we were in Colossians together, among other verses, we looked at verse 11 of chapter 3. And it says there, um, Paul says, he's talking about the body of Christ, these people being in the church, being in Christ. He says, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. This is a beautiful truth he's talking about. He's saying, uh, all of those differences that we focus on, cultural differences, ethnic differences, differences in societal structure, they don't matter in Christ. We're all one in Christ. We're all equal in Christ. In a sense, all those things are swallowed up in Christ, and we don't need to worry about it. But now Paul is talking about differences. He's making distinctions based on different positions. And so you might think, doesn't this contradict? You've got, on the one side, we're all the same, and on the other side, he's saying we're different. Which one's right? Well, we do all have equal standing in Christ. There is no special ethnic group. There is no special social group that has a special standing with God, that has a special access to God. But there is still a valuable diversity of function in the body of Christ. Just because we're all of the same value before Christ doesn't mean we're all the same. And that's what Paul is saying here. He's saying you do have different roles based on where God has placed you, based on who you are. You have different roles to play. God doesn't see one as more important than the other, but they're not all the same. There are differences of responsibility because of our different positions in uh, the purposes of God. So let me ask you, which position is the most important position on a soccer team? Is it the keeper, the one who's guarding the goal, keeping the other team from scoring? Is it the striker who's most likely to score a goal for his team? Is it a midfielder who's not really close to either goal, but they just kind of help the ball move in the right direction? Is it the coach? Well, arguments can be made for different parts of that team, and certain positions get more attention and praise, but on a good team, if any one player is not in his place giving his all, the whole team's performance will not be what it, should, what it could be. So think about this. If every uh, member of that team were doing the exact same thing, they all had the same abilities, and they were all striving for the same exact goal. They're all trying to do the exact same thing. Maybe they're all trying to guard the goal. They're all trying to score a goal. They're all trying to tell the team what to do. How well is that team going to perform? Well, not well at all. We understand that. They've got to be different. That's not to say that one is more essential, more important than the other. The differences serve the group. Who's the most important member of your family? Who's the most important member of this church? But is each member of equal importance because they're all exactly the same? Of course not. It's not sensible or fair then for us to make a one-on-one comparison of a husband and a wife, of a parent and a child, of a master and a servant, and to say they need to be the same. It's not sensible, and it's not the way God intended things to be. 
there are different functions, differences of function that are valid and that are God-ordained. And that leads us to the next consideration. That is the importance of contentment. If my role is God-given, it is a good role and it is a fitting role for me. What Paul says here in Colossians 3 reminds me of John the Baptist in Luke 3. And there, this is before the public ministry of Christ has begun. Um, John is preaching to the group of people there. And after he preaches, there are a couple of groups that, that come and approach him. The first is a group of tax collectors. It says in Luke three twelve, Then came also publicans to be baptized, and said unto him, Master, what shall we do? And he said unto them, Exact no more than that which is appointed you. So they're saying, what, what are we supposed to do? What, um, what is our job? Now publicans, tax collectors, were not somebody who other people looked on with favor. This is not something that everybody's like, man, they're great, I love these guys, this is the best job ever. And so I think they're thinking, you know, we, we don't want to do it the wrong way. We want to serve in the right way in the position we've been given. How do we do that when most people are looking at tax collectors and saying there's nothing good there? And so John says what you need to do is not ask more than what you're supposed to. Have people ta- pay the amount of taxes they're supposed to pay. Well, then another group that many people would have frowned on and thought um, ill of um, a group of soldiers come up to him, and the soldiers likewise demanded of him, saying, And what shall we do? And he said unto them, Do violence to no man, neither accuse any falsely, and be content with your wages. Now these are simple, uh, helpful, practical instructions he's giving to these people. But really at the heart of it is the same thing. First of all, he's saying, be kind and good to other people. And then be content with where you are. These are positions that would have been difficult, especially if somebody wants to do it in a way that is right and pleasing to God. There would have been a lot of pressure to be doing either of those jobs in a way that was unfair and unright and unkind and not good to others. And so John is saying, do what you ought to do and be content with where you're at. As we think about our roles, we can often obsess about how we're being treated in that role. We can be very concerned that we're being treated well. We can be very concerned that other people are respecting us and supporting us in our role. In Colossians 3, it's interesting because Paul specifically acknowledges that some of the servants he's addressing are being mistreated or are going to be mistreated. He speaks in another place about um, obeying the masters, even the ones that are froward. But he makes this reference in verse 25 where he's reminding them that he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done. That's a warning for them, but it's also to remind them, you're going to be mistreated. Some of you are going to be mistreated by your masters. Remember, God's going to make it right. But there's this understanding going into it that the person on the other side of the relationship isn't always going to be who they ought to be. So it's not saying, be a good wife as long as your husband is a good husband, and the other way around. Be a good and obedient child as long as your parents are the way they should be. 
be a good, obedient, uh, hardworking servant as long as you've got a good master. There's an understanding in all of this that sometimes in our role, we are going to be mistreated. Sometimes it's not going to be fair. There's a lot of talk these days about fairness. And the Christian, as someone who recognizes the sacredness of human life, we, we should be concerned uh, if others are being mistreated. Uh, we should have a desire to address inequity when we see it. That is good and that is biblical. But for a Christian who truly knows scripture and is truly walking with God, the primary concern for both ourself and others will not be fairness, but faithfulness. That's what Paul is saying here. It's important that we be content in the role that God has given us and how it is playing out, even when we feel that we're not being respected or treated fairly in that role. It's also important to be content with our role, not to be pursuing another one because we, we want to find a position that we think is better for us. The work of God is not like a movie where the name of the director and the name of the main actors is what really matters and nobody cares about all the rest of the people in the, um, in the, uh, the credits. We can think of promotion as the opportunity to do something more meaningful, more lasting. We're looking for another role, a role that has more attention, a role that has more influence, a role that's more of a leadership role, and we can strive for that because we think, then I can do something that really matters. Then I can do something that's really going to make an impact. But really at the heart of that is not the promotion of the work of God, it's self-promotion. Because promotion is not actually about pursuing a better role if we see it from God's perspective. In the work of God and in the church of Christ, there are no better roles. Roles and opportunities change, and that's okay. And sometimes God does move us from one role to another. The key is to be content where we are and wherever he places us to value our faithfulness to him over either fairness or the opportunity for promotion. Just to be content and to be faithful. Now really to get to the heart of this, we need to see our roles as an offering to God. To look at the examples that Paul provides here, a wife should desire to be a faithful wife, not first for her own good or even to serve her husband. She should do it primarily as an offering to God. On the other side, a husband should sacrificially love his wife, not principally for his own sake or for his wife's, but for the Lord's sake. All of these things that Paul talks about here should not be offered primarily as a gift to another person but as an offering to God. Note the language that he uses here. So the wives, he says, are to submit as it is fit in the Lord. Children are told to obey their parents for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Paul tells servants to serve in singleness of heart, fearing God. And then he goes on to say that whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord 
and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. And to the masters, he says, give unto your servants that which is just and equal, knowing that ye also have a master in heaven. If we're going to be faithful in our roles, we are going to be concerned about the people we're with, but that's not what's going to lead us to be faithful and to do our best and to be all who we ought to be. It's not going to be about us trying to be all we need to be for them. It's going to be us saying, this is a role God has given me. I am going to fulfill it to the best of my ability for him. I'm going to be the best husband I can possibly be for the praise and the glory of God. Each of these roles, if properly practiced, revolves not around serving self or others, but around serving Christ. So I want to ask you this morning, do you see your roles as an offering to God? Let's just be honest. A lot of these things are not exciting. They don't get a lot of praise. Being a stay-at-home mom is not romantic. Being a caregiver for an aging parent is not thrilling. Being a model employee sometimes makes you look like a loser. Being an obedient uh, child can frankly be pretty boring. Being a teacher is not glamorous. But faithfully fulfilling our roles, though it is often mundane and it feels like we're not really accomplishing anything, if we adopt this perspective and realize I'm offering this to God. All of a sudden, there's a weight there that wasn't there before. There's a meaning there that wasn't there before. And all of a sudden, we can say, regardless of whether I feel like it today, what I'm doing in this role matters. And because I'm offering it as an offering to God, the way I do it matters. I want to take just a moment and and consider the specific roles that he addresses here. Again, we're not going to take time to dive into each of these in too great depth, um, but let's just look over what he says and, and give a couple of comments on each one. Instructions for the specific roles. The admonitions themselves, these are very simple. Um, it's not hard to understand what he's saying, but these are all very difficult things. He really gets to the heart of where the friction often comes in these sorts of relationships. So he tells the wives in verse 18, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as it is fit in the Lord. Wives are called to submit, allowing the husband to take the lead, even though he's wrong sometimes. Verse 19, husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Husbands are called to love selflessly and sacrificially and to not let bitterness grow in their hearts against their wives. You know, bitterness is one of the most dangerous things in a husband-wife relationship. And it's so easy for that to grow out of sight and form a wedge between a husband and wife. Verse 20, children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing unto the Lord. Children are to obey in all things. So that includes the things where parents seem to be unfair or when it seems like they just don't get it, or when they don't have the right attitude toward their children. Verse 21, fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. 
parents and fathers specifically here are to avoid provoking and discouraging their children. In other words, not just the rules that parents have for their kids, but the spirit with which those rules are enforced and the example that is set for kids. Verses 22 to 25, servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God, and whatsoever ye do, do it heartily, as to the Lord and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. But he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done, and there is no respect of persons." So servants, and I think it's fair for us to apply this generally to those who find themselves under authority, are to work hard, not primarily for approval or reward, but for God. They're to obey those in authority over them, even the bad bosses. And then Colossians 4.1, Masters, give unto your servants that which is just and equal, knowing that ye also have a master in heaven. So masters, and again, I believe we can apply this to those in positions of authority or leadership, are not to take advantage of those they lead, but instead to treat those under them with justice and equity. Now, of course, much more could be said about each of those individual roles. Like I said, we could preach a separate sermon on each one, and you've likely heard sermons on those uh, different positions and our responsibilities. But I want to encourage you this morning to really take stock of your own roles. Whether it's one of these six, or it's something else, some other responsibility in your life, a position that you find yourself in. And ask yourself, how do you view the roles that you occupy? First of all, are you fulfilled in those roles? Can you see the next rung on the ladder that's gonna take you a step higher? Are you seeing the path ahead for self-promotion? Well, in Jeremiah 45, God warned Baruch not to seek great things for himself, but to be content with the lowly position he held as assistant to the prophet Jeremiah. Remember, your roles are an assignment from God. And at the end of the day, it's not about personal promotion. Faithfulness is what's most important. Perhaps considering your current roles leaves you feeling profoundly discouraged. Maybe it seems to you that you're occupying the least significant, the least noticed, the most mundane of roles. Well, recognize that those two are assignments from God, and when given as an offering to him, they are profoundly significant. On the second day of the Battle of Gettysburg, General George Meade, who was commander of the Union Army, sent the Army's chief of engineers, General Warren, to a hill known today as Little Round Top to determine whether or not it was well defended. And General Warren found no more than a handful of soldiers there, and he quickly sent officers to find help. And it was Colonel Vincent and his 3rd Brigade who took up the defense of that hill. On the far Uh, left of that brigade, um, it was Colonel Joshua Chamberlain who found himself uh, on the left flank of the Union forces with his 20th Maine. 
as wave after wave of seasoned enemy troops stormed that hill, it was men like Private Ezra Martin and Private Joseph Grindle and Private Isaiah Witten, men of whom we know almost nothing, who stood side by side and kept each other standing and fighting, holding back the fierce attacks of the southern forces. It was the men who sweated and bled and fought and in some cases died who repulsed the rebel forces and kept them from rolling up that vital flank. It was their tenacity and courage that won the day for the northern forces and served an important role in deciding the direction of the whole battle of Gettysburg. So let me ask you, who won that part of the battle, that, that conflict at Little Round Top? Was it General Meade? He was, the, he was the commander of the Union forces. He was the one who realized there might be a problem and sent General Warren. Was it General Warren who won it? The one who discovered we need more troops and sent to get help. Was it Colonel Chamberlain? Because he was the one there on the far flank who shepherded his troops through that conflict. Was it the sergeants and corporals and privates from obscure towns in Maine whose names and faces are lost to history? Well, the truth is it was all of them. None would have done it without the others. And surely there were soldiers there who showed extraordinary courage that day and would have loved for history to have remembered their names and faces and honored them for their bravery. There are certain individuals who get the attention and the recognition, but they all had a vital part in the victory. The general is not more important than the private, and the private is not more important than the general. Full victory depends on each one faithfully fulfilling his own personal role. So the challenge this morning is simple. First of all, to see your roles as what they are, assignments from God. And secondly, to treat your responsibilities in those roles as what they are, an offering to God. Thank God for the roles that he's given each of us and what he intends to do through us as we fulfill those roles. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you that your word is intensely practical, that it does give us specific instructions for how we ought to carry out many of the roles you've given us. But Lord, we know that we need to have your perspective on the responsibilities we have in our lives and that the way we, that we carry those out. Lord, we want to be faithful. We want to be used by you. We want to value what you value. Please help us in this matter this morning. I pray that you would do your work in our hearts. Help us to offer the work you've given us back to you as an offering for your glory. We love you and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.